на трибунах олеют знамена, Облака поднебесь и плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Apologies for a slight no-show last week as some very late emergencies came up and made recording in time for a Friday RPL game is impossible. But we are back this week to discuss all the recent RPL action, including the last two game weeks. We're going to also cast over who Sochi and Rubin were drawn against in the Europa, League, Europa Conference League and look ahead at the next games. And lastly, discuss the Valeri Karpin debacle, as he was originally given the Spornaya job, agreeing to work with both Rostov and the national team, only to then leave his role as Rostov boss after two successive defeats, and subsequently was replaced by the local legend Yuri Siomin. As we record, Spartak are currently playing against Benfica in their own Champions League qualifier, having literally just conceded a goal to go 1-0 down. So we'll probably leave Spartak aside this week due to the timing of the pod, and we will cover this game and the next leg in next week's pod. As usual, however, I am joined by David Sanson. Good evening. And Richard Pike. Good evening, guys. How are we all? I was good up until literally about 30 seconds ago, because... As those, as I've mentioned, I'm watching the Spartak game in one eye and recording a podcast in the other. So, unfortunately, <laughs> until Spartak's defence absolutely imploded and let Benfica just run through it like a knife through butter, I was good. But we will focus on the RPL matters this week as opposed to that Champions League qualifier. And I think we're going to start at the top of the table. So, Richard, first, Zenit, they're currently top with six from six and have been banging the goals in and... What have you made of their game so far, and how have they impressed you? Um, yeah, they've just they've continued on from what they've they've done um, last season. Um, it's been, you know, I mean, watching the highlights just back recently of the the game against Himke. To be fair, in that game, I actually thought three one flattered um, Zenit a little bit. I thought Himke played quite well, and um, you know, they they you know showed that did a. This in the second game week when they beat Krastada. So I thought that 3-1 victory for Zenit flattered them a little bit. Um, but yeah, they, they looked, you know, refreshing my memory of the hi- with the highlights recently. They looked a lot more um, convincing in the game against Rostov. It was a brilliant finish. Two brilliant goals in the second half, especially one for them, both of them from uh, Wendell and then the the fourth goal from Alexander Yelokin. Um Yelokin's finish was a lovely first-time hit and Wendell's was... Also a beautiful shot went into the top corner. Yeah, I'd say there's been a bit of a continuity from Zenit. They've they've carried on the same same kind of rate as what they did in the um, tail end of last season when they powered to the title. Um, I mean, they've yet to be tested yet. Obviously, you know those are two games which I did expect them to win. Uh, Himke and Rostov, but but yeah, they're looking they're looking pretty good still. Um, obviously they've got Malcolm to come back from the Olympics with um, the Brazilian um, on the 23s team uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the market I mean I, I still think for the RPLs in it are obviously you know a very good side and they should be favourites to win the league again but but obviously we need to wait and see what they do now with, with um, the two potential foreign spots that they're going to have available because obviously Sebastian Drews have just departed to new Major League Soccer franchise Austin FC. Um, so he's, he's gone there. I think the fee was around €6 million Euros or something like that for what I've read on Transfer Marked. And the speculation about the future of Sardar Asmoon. So, you know, Zenit, I'd still think, need to add something more to their squad for Europe. But obviously it's it's conditional upon 
you know, Asmoon leaving as well, which as well as no Juicy who has departed, because that then gives Zenit two transfers to see what they can do. Because obviously beforehand they couldn't do anything because they were quoted up on the foreign limit. But yeah, I'd say so far it's been so good for Zenit, but obviously it's we can't make a full judgment on them because you know they, their squad is still very strong for our PL level. But we'll have to wait and see what 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 happens later on in the season when they finally get a chance to bring in some fresh um, names. But yeah, so far it's been quite good. The second performance against Rostov definitely looked considerably improvement on the on the first game against Himke. I must admit, I'm always even though he did start life as a striker and has played most of his career in anywhere from central midfield to to more attacking roles. I'm always surprised when Yerahin gets these sort of purple patches of just constantly scoring. I've seen, I mean, I've seen the memes where. It's like comparing it to Zuba in, in the way that he started this season. And I remember having this conversation late on last year. He just does this every now and again. And without disparaging him too much, I just feel like I'm always eternally surprised by when he does this. But if we do move down to second in the table, and who did spend a lot of the time actually at the top, David, you've got to be happy with how your boys Rubin have started so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, preseason I left me worried a little bit with with some of our results towards the end of preseason. You know, we lost we lost heavily against Spartak. Then one week later, we uh, we went and beat Spartak in, in the first game of the season. Uh, that that was a tough one. We we defended hard, having scored a, a very good goal um, early in the second half. And you know, we we rode our luck a little bit. Spartak missed good chances. We also put in some very good defending. So um, we, we ground that win out. Uh, and then last week, we went away to Arsenal. Obviously, Arsenal were on some of the poorest form in, in the league. Um, and it was it was a fairly comfortable 3-0, 3-0 win, you know, 3-0 even before half-time in the second half. Uh, Slutsky made some subs, rested some players for, for the European tie coming up. Um, and just sat back a bit and uh, the score stayed there. So, yeah, you know, very, very promising start to the season. You know, we, we now... Are, uh, 32 points out of 39 in, in 2021, which is a, you know, a more than respectable total. And uh, yeah, a very good start to the season for, for us. Um, you know, even with the loss of Starfelt, Starfelt that loss, I, I wondered how that would affect us. But so far, Begic and Uremovic have done a good job there in defence. There's rumours of us still maybe going in for another defender, foreign defender, if our... If our even though we've got our, our foreign quota hit still, um, you know, Peter Kuratskeli is still with us, and you know, it's a big, if, is he, isn't he going to go? Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe we can do things to, to rectify the staff help loss, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, very good start to the season. Before we do move on from Rubin, of course, there's been a, in what many expected to be the replacement of Kavicha, but you, of course he is currently still at the club, how has Sead Haksabanovic adapted to life in Russia? And is Denis Makarov's impending move to Dynamo going to affect Rubin that much? Um, well, Haksabanovic has, has not yet let uh, sort of let, let show a light. Uh, he started both games and played both games. Um, he got an assist against against Arsenal. You know, nothing special, a simple layoff for them. Kvitsa uh, banged one in from, from 20 yards. Um, he, he is playing off the right where, where Makarov had 
have played in the past. Um, yeah, him and Kvitra have actually swapped wings a couple of times, which is interesting. Um, from a personal perspective, I think Makarov would need replacing, even with Haksabanovic. So obviously Haksabanovic was initially, we thought, the replacement for, for Kvitra. Um, but now there's, you know, there's uncertainty as to whether Kvitra's going to go or not. Um, there's actually, you know, very rumours coming out now that maybe he is going to go again after earlier in the week, us thinking he isn't. Um, the Makarov deal, apparently, from Rubin's perspective, makes makes it harder for them to, to sell Kvitra and they would need, their, therefore, a, you know, a convincing offer. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens with, with that. You know, he's, he's, he's travelled with Rubin for, for the European side tomorrow. And I'm no, no doubt he'll play. But, uh, yeah, we still don't know. So the, the Makarov deal, whether it affects his long-term or not is interesting. I, th- I think a replacement's needed. If Creech goes, then a replacement's definitely needed. Another winger needs to come in. Uh, you know, Ruben, apparently, considering Makarov um, at his peak already and therefore are cashing in while, while the offers are high. You know, 10 million is a lot of money for... For a player who's only had thirty games in the top flight, um, so uh, that's that's the perspective. Um, so yeah, replacement needed. Haksabanovic still adapting, um, not not as direct, not as fast as as Kvitra, for example, um, but seems seems to have uh, a bit more of his wits about him. Um, but because of the slightly different style of play, not necessarily in the same positions uh, as where Kvitra will get to. What I've seen of Haksabanovic so far is that he, like you mentioned there, that he doesn't quite have the directness of the other two. And I think that was one, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, Rubin have still won both games without Makarov having a very big of a role, so I'll not over-accentuate his impact. But I think he'd do very well under Schwarzer Dinamo. His directness would suit how Dinamo play. But I think one of Rubin's best attacking weapons of the last of 2021 so far has been that a sort of twin axis of Kvitra on one side, Makarov on the other, both being so incredibly direct. And in, in doing so, that really stops Despotovic being isolated up top and lets the like the, the, the defensive midfielders and the defence sort of rest a little bit more, at least in the middle of the park. So it would be interesting. I would like to see them personally replace them with a quite a similar player who's very direct, very vertical and and comes in cuts and, and has, has a goal from far. But... Kavicha's mm. been doing that so far, so yeah. If I mean, keep I, him, then. yeah. I mean, if Bakarov goes, I'd like to um, replace him with Gatchimuradov. Obviously, he's injured at the moment, but he's a he's a similar style player to to Makarov. If Kavicha goes, obviously that that opens up another foreigner spot. Do we then consider that Haksabanovic is the replacement, and we go elsewhere for another foreigner? Um, Saito is still sat there not registered for the league because he's our extra foreign player. You've been linked to a Tunisian defender today. Is that going to happen? It's uh, it's all sort of very much up in the air with Rubin and, and their transfers at the moment. I think uh, this next week um, we could see a bit of chopping and changing again. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And if we do talk about chopping and change, we'll chop and change a subject to third in the table. And Richard, that is your own team that you follow quite a bit and keep an eye on for the for the site and for the pods and that's Dinamo who have also got two wins from two games this season 
is it fair to say that a lot of that's been fueled by a certain Arsene Sakarian, or is it maybe far more than meets the eye with Dinamo? I actually fought in the second game. I caught, I caught a second game just recently against um, Ufa. I actually fought in the second game. Other te- other players stepped up to the plate um, alongside Zakarian. Um, you know, I thought Simans get a good game. Fomin took his two penalties quite well. Um, I really like the way Chukarvin is developing too. Um, what was quite interesting in that game was is that. You know, there was several times when he was dropping deep and then there were two players sometimes running past him and he was dropping deep, shielding the ball, turning the player who he'd shielded the ball from and then picking a pass to the wings for people running into space. Um, so I really like the way Duke Carvin's developing, you know, and it is good to see some variety in Russian strikers developing, you know. I mean, Russia obviously produces a lot of Artem Zuba and Alexander Sobolev style strikers, you know, your big target man strikers. It's nice to see different types of striker now starting to emerge in Russia. And, you know, Tukarvin is one of those and, you know, he's coming along nicely. Obviously, he needs to add a few more goals to his game, but I think that will come. It's easy to remember he is only 19 years of age. Um, but yeah, I, I think Dinamo, you know, more players stepped up in attack in that game um, against Dufa. Uh, it got a little bit hairy towards the end, um, you know, with those two Gamid Agalarov goals. And I, I was happy for him because I remember when he first broke on the scene at Angie, uh, I remember in, in one of the articles for RFN, I remember David pointing him out from the Granatkin Memorial Tournament where he impressed as a youngster. And it's obviously he's he's probably not quite pushed on since then, but it, it was nice to see him score those two goals. And hopefully now under Stukalov at Ufa, he can develop another young Russian striker. But yeah, I mean, Dinamo, you know, it was nice to see as well um, Skopintsev come on as an impact sub at the end there. Um, and, you know, with, with Laxalt now being the left-back full-time, you know, I, I get the impression now they're going to use um, Skopintsev as an impact sub on the left wing. That's, I think, now where they see his position. Um, and it, it was his ball in that... I think he was aiming for Chukarvin for that for that winning goal, but I think he um, he missed it. But obviously Szymanski didn't and took his chance. And I mean, you know, Dinamo not brilliant in that game, but they 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 got the job done. You know, in past years, Rostov and Ufa away from home. It's worth remembering the both these games were away from home. In past years, that would have been probably Dinamo probably won to won both those games. They might even have lost them both or drawn one, lost one. So the fact that they've got two wins on on the on the board, despite you know still probably having a bit more to offer, you know, and defense defensively could tighten up a little bit too. The second goal, it was a, it was a poor defensive mistake by Fabian Balbuena. He you know he, he failed to clear his lines and that allowed Uf to get the ball in the box to score. But but yeah, it, it's just encouraging to see Dinamo still have more in the tank to offer, and yet they've got two wins on the board. So there's still some improvement to come. First real test of the, the, the season so far this weekend against Siskar. I'm looking forward to seeing that game. Um, and it is at Dinamo. So, so yeah, I mean, there's that game and then at Matt away. They're two tough fixtures. If Dinamo can come through that with another four points or so, I think it's it's looking good so far. But, yeah, I, I think others stepped up to the plate rather than Zakayan at the weekend. You know, he was still... Zakayan was still decent at the weekend, but I thought others stepped up to the plate really well too. So, um that was good to see. Um, and the Makarov addition could be quite interesting. It'd be interesting to see where he would fit in if um, if that if that proposed deal does come through. Uh, it certainly gives Dinamo a lot of options in behind 
Archie Carvin. You know, you've got NG, you've got Lezavoy, Makarov, Szymanski. You, you know, Gruyoff is still there even. You know, you've, you've tons of options there. So, um, so yeah, be interesting to see what happens. But, yes, yeah, looking good so mm-hmm. far. Um, but, yeah, uh, this weekend will be the first real test, you'd think. But so far, so good. Yeah, certainly. And, of course, this weekend for those... As a little quick reminder, Dave, uh, Richard mentioned it, but it is, of course, Dinamo versus Siska in the next Moscow derby. Um, Siska, who have been have had a mixed start of late, but we will mention both Siska and Lokomotiv in in future episodes because we're focusing on some... I, th- I feel like, especially with Lokomotiv, there's going to be quite a lot happening coming up with the restructuring of uh, Ralph Ragnick and Thomas Zorn taking over the sporting positions in the club at the, at the board. So we'll hold the space for Loco in particular right now. And we'll actually be skipping a little bit further down the table and back to David and uh, actually near the bottom because I must admit I've been a little bit disappointed by Krillia so far, David. Yeah, um, opening week against against Akhmat, they, I mean, first 20 minutes, they, they barely were on the pitch. I don't know whether that was because they weren't good or whether because Akhmat were very good. Um, probably a bit of both. Um, one player who was really struggling both both matches is the left back uh, Yuri Gorshkov. Um, he needs new boots, but he's con- he constantly seems to be slipping over. Um, but has has really struggled uh, position. Yeah, he's a very attack minded player. He can also play in centre mid, but when he plays a left back, he likes to get forward a lot. And uh, he's been caught out a few times, I noticed, in both the fixtures um, against Ahmad and then against uh, Spartak last week. Um, you know, we had a lot of hope for this team. You know, it's a young team. A lot of, uh, you know, I think there's 12 or 13 former Chetanova players in there now, coached by a former Chetanova coach. So there was hope that, you know, this team was, this is a good unit, um, that they'd be used to playing with each other and they could bring their you know, high goal-scoring style to, to the Premier League, but so far it's just not clicked. Um, they, they were better against Spartak. Uh, you know, kept it 1-0, a penalty which, again, I thought was a little bit harsh um, for a hand handball. Um, and then we finally saw, I suppose, the, the one highlight that a lot of people have been talking about in Russia is the debut of uh, Sergei Pinyaev. He... He finally got his debut uh, for Krillia against against Spartak. Came on for 15 minutes. And he's only 16 years old, and uh, he gave. If Ayrton had a bit less pace, then uh, you know he he really was gonna give him a hard time. Um, I mean, he gave him a hard time regardless. You know, they were, the the mini 15 minute highlight package that he Pinya have had. Uh, I think it was Nabolito was was uh, commentating. He was very excited. Every time Pinard skinned Ayrton, which was about three times in 15 minutes, he, he skinned him. But Ayrton's recovery pace is very good to the point where um, it didn't really come to fruition on a couple of occasions. Um, so, yeah, Sergeyev's not really hit the ground running. I mean, he was very, very unfortunate against Ahmad. He hit the post in the 93rd minute from about 25 yards, which would have, you know, obviously equalised the game, tied the game up. Um, but yet to score... His, his first goal in the Premier League. Um, yeah, yet, yet to get things going. And, uh, you know, maybe this week uh, they've got to go to Arsenal, who are on a big losing streak over this season and the end of last season. I think they've lost five in a row. 
that, that's a game where, you know, we, we, we'd expect Krillia should be able to do something. You know, they, they looked okay. We saw them at the end of last season in the Cup, beating Russian Premier League teams for fun. Uh, and they did fairly well in the cup final against Loco, so maybe this will be the turning point for them. And the you know game, I know granted it's away, but a game against Arsenal is, is as good a chance as any to turn it around. Yeah, and I think with Krillia, it's worth just taking early results with a pinch of salt because we all know they have a talented team in terms of pure technical ability. But it is very much a young side. The average age so far has been edging around 20, the twenty-five mark, which is among the lowest in the RPL. There's a lot of young players who are making their full debuts in the RPL and it mustn't be stated that from a mental point of view and particularly a defensive point of view, there's quite a big step up from the Finetel to RPL. And you highlighted Gorshkov there and I wouldn't be surprised if his struggles did continue for a little while until he started adapting better defensively because, as you've said, he's not a particularly strong defensive fullback. But if I do stay down the bottom of the table and go from a team who have perhaps been unlucky but also performing quite poorly to a side who have been performing horrendously for some time now. They've lost nine out of the last ten games, uh, six on the bounce in the RPL, and the only one that they did win was a a 1-0 victory in a club-friendly game against Karabag, and that is, of course, Arsenal-Tula. And just quickly before I hand over to yourself, Richard, I think if you do look through Arsenal's team, and the the team at the weekend was uh, Shamov, and then Smolnikov, Novoseltsev, Berlak and Stepanov, Tukachov, Kostadinov, Chaushich, Zariko, Davidashvili, and then Yevgeny Markov and Yevgeny Lutsenka, the pair of Yevgenys up top. Now, obviously, there's a lot of power in that team, especially with Lutsenka up top. But that's just... And, and, and with Pyofyanov in charge, who's, in my opinion, the worst manager in Russia, that's really <laughs> poor and a massive step down from where they had in recent seasons and even in seasons in which they have actually relatively struggled last year, they did. So, Richard, are you are you worried for them early doors, just with their long-term lack of form? I think you have to be, really, don't you? I mean, they, they only just survived last season, too. I remember Rotor really late on in that final game against Rubin having a chance, and it literally whiskered just over the bar. And had that gone in, and, you know, obviously the Ufa versus um, Arsenal Tula game later on that same day was delayed, obviously. So, But had that gone in, then Arsenal would have had to have won their final game against Ufa to survive and they weren't winning that game because Ufa were all over them. Um, it's really, really worrying for them, yeah. Um, you know, two games where they've suffered quite heavy defeats um, and that game against um, that game against Krillia this weekend is already looking like, you know, potentially decisive you know if, if you know both those sides have lost their opening two games and if, if either of them lose it they're going to be in big trouble um and i, I really worry for arsenal tula I, I really do because it's not just that uh they've had a lot of change in the squad recently too i mean i've, I've just got their transfers up now and there's just so many players who've left them like who's been who've been stalwarts in recent years you know gear grigolava's left uh, maxim belyaev Robert Bauer, Kirill Kombarov has retired. Uh, you know, they, they've lost a lot of players. And obviously, there's been a lot of turnover with transfers. And, you know, just, just having a look now at how many transfers they've brought in. They've brought in, I think it's nine transfers this summer. Uh, eight of them freeze. And Bjornstrom, the left-back from Sweden, who they, they brought in for €200,000. 
So that, that is a lot of turnover and a lot of experiences left. Um, so I think it's going to be very, very difficult for them. And yeah, like you said, James, they've, they've been on a donor for a while now. They, they finished last season poorly. I'm like you too. I don't particularly rate Dimitro Parfionov as a manager. I, I was saying it on a number of occasions last season. Um, and yeah, I, I think they're in real trouble, judging from what I've seen so far. And that game at the weekend is... It's absolutely massive, um, you know. It, I think it's even it's probably more important for Arsenal Tula to win it than than Krilia because uh, uh, you know, given as we as you just said uh, with uh, David, given Krilia have been winning games against RPL teams in the cup last season, you know, you, you think Krilia might eventually come to you know um, and start coming good, getting some results. But Arsenal Tula, this is a slide which they really need to address, and with a huge turnover of players. And the manager I'm, I don't particularly rate. I've got to admit, I'm thinking already that they're a decent show for relegation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's going to be a big ship to turn around um, from Parfionov, and I'm not massively convinced based on the results so far. Certainly. It, it just reeks of absolute instability in a club that's not really being steered in the correct direction from the sporting level. Obviously, we've given... Look, take Ruben, for example. We've given Leonid Slutsky a hell of a lot of credit for the way he's turned around that squad, but from a level above that, they're sporting directors, they're bored, they they seem to really know how to steer a club in the right way, both in terms of financially and on the pitch. Just having a quick look at some of the new signings who have actually started in the last game for Arsenal. It was, I mean, Igor Smolnikov, poor last season for Krasnodar for the most part, wrong end of 30. Novoseltsev, somehow Novoseltsev, still only 29, it feels like he's been just wandering around doing absolutely nothing but posting Instagram photos since about 2012. And then some of some of the <laughs> others just reek of just players who were just available and just kind of just grabbing at thin air and hoping for the best. Zarico, I mean, there the could be a player in there. He's still got time. He's still only young. But he was awful for Rota last season and he's carried that form on now. And I just really don't see Piafianov having the wherewithal and managerial ability to get this sort of disparate group of players together and get them on the right track. But it is very early doors. So they've got nothing but time and the transfer window, of course, isn't closed yet if they can get some money together and and, and build upon that squad. But if we move a little bit further up the table next, David, there's a little bit of a surprise package sitting just outside the, the top four in Nizhny Novgorod. Uh, yeah, Nizhny Novgorod, uh, they're not, not doing too bad at all. Um, they, they picked up a, a one-all draw away at Ural this weekend. Um, nine minutes of injury time, by the way, at the end of that one, because the floodlights went out with about 10 minutes to go. Um, and considering the game was being played our afternoon in the UK, it was about 8 o'clock in Yekaterinburg, so it was it was getting fairly dark over there, and uh, they, they needed the lights back on. Um, but... Uh, Particularly, I mean, it was it was an Ural dominant performance possession wise. They weren't exactly having bunches of chances. Um, Panyukov scored a nice goal, but Nizhny um, through Timur Sulimanov, who's uh, who we you know I, I, we followed and talked about a couple of times on the pod last year in the Feniel, uh, got his got his first goal in the top flight, having signed for Nizhny permanently uh, over the summer uh, from a set play. Him and Gotsuk were, were big threats in the air last year, and I think that's going to be the case uh, again this year. Um, and yeah, for, first week, Suleimanov again, both times he'd come off the bench, he, he was involved uh, against Sochi. They picked up a, a fairly impressive win. 
at home against Sochi who were who were, were lackluster. I think we maybe could put it down to to the European games being on their mind that they were playing. But uh, Sulaimanov came on and with I think literally his first touch um, was it his first touch in that game? But anyway, it was Gorbanov, Gorbanov and Sulaimanov combined. And one of the two, it was this first touch. Sulaimanov stuck Gorbanov through a goal and he, and he scored. Um, the squad's still very thin. I think they've only named six subs on both occasions. So they definitely need some bodies in there. Um, yeah, they've been linked to some players here and there. Uh, there was talk pre-season that they were, you know, hadn't secured major funding, so they haven't bought in too much. Uh, I'm hoping they'll they'll sort of potentially go back and get Kruvtsov, who's still sort of lingering in in limbo. He's been with Krasnar and Nizhny in pre-season, and wherever he goes, you know, if he can go to Nizhny, then uh, Kozhikov will give him some game time. But uh, you know, solid start from them. You know, they'll take four points out of six uh, in the first two weeks. Um, first big challenge this week is uh, is away at Spartak, though. So we'll see see what they're made of, how well they can set up defensively uh, against them. I must say, uh, Gotsuk and the other defender were not particularly great for the for the goal that Ural scored. Um, so with some flashier movement, you know, when Zenit come to town, I would still expect Zenit to to roundly give him a, a thumping, even though Zuba's not. Uh, scoring or assisting at home, but uh, yeah, good start at the very least. And but uh, but still things to do. Still 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 work need doing in Nizhny. You know, bodies need to come in, and uh, it'll be a, it'll be a long season for them. Yeah, it will be. I expected them to be honest to be a little bit like this season's rotter, where I thought they would have been quite solid defensively, but not necessarily very exciting in attack. I had worries over. The similar worries to Krilia, Bersky, and any other promoted side about how some of the younger players and Fenetel regulars can adapt to RPL football. But hey, it seems that Kurzhakov ball's getting off to a good start there, and he's carrying on some of his good management from Tom Tomsk last season. But from this season's so far two games in surprise package to last season's 30 games total season surprise package, Richards, Sochi's start's been a little bit mixed, but understandable, I would think, with the European commitments this early as well. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> the funny thing about Sochi is, is that they lost the game I expected them to win against um, against Nishni, and then they won the game I expected them to lose against Atmat, because obviously both games were sandwiched in between the Europa Conference League um, two-legged uh, victory over FK Keshler from Azerbaijan. Um, I watched the game against um, against Nishni, and I've got to say, yeah, I think I think fatigue probably played an impact on that. Um, I mean, they hadn't had to do any travelling uh, for that game because it was after the home match, um, so they, they weren't coming back from somewhere and then playing on a three day turnaround. Um, yeah, they they looked surprisingly quite flat in that game. Um, I mean, it could have been different early doors. I mean, I remember Christian Naboa having a free kick. And I think he curled it over the wall, but then Nigma Tullin, uh, Nishni's goalkeeper, pulled off an absolutely fantastic save. Um, and, he, you know, he, he I thought it had hit the bar at first, but I think he just got a little touch onto it and touched it onto the, the bar and it came crashing down off the bar. So who knows? I mean, if that had gone in, then it is a different game. And then, yeah, I think maybe they could possibly underestimated Nishni a little bit, um, which, you know, probably contributed towards a sluggish performance. Maybe it was, you know, 
coming off the back of a European game. Um, but it was a good win for them um, against um, Atma. I was looking at the highlights of that earlier, and that, that is a good scout because Atma away is always quite a difficult game to a difficult place for teams to go, and that they, they got they got the three points. It looked like it was a nice deserved win for them. They're probably still looking at a few bodies. Obviously, they let um, Ivan Mladenovic go to go to Nishni. Um, I mean, I guess they've got you know it's it's an interesting one that because obviously last season he was you know a regular Fordham in defence, but obviously now. They've upgraded their defence quite a lot with the signings of Barach, Rodrigao and Mamama, you know, back for another season on loan, so they can dispense of um, Mladenovic. But yeah, I think this upcoming Europa Conference League match will be key for Sochi. I still think they need bodies in. You know, I still think not massive amounts, but probably you'd be looking at another three or four, maybe ideally coming in. I think they've got one foreign spot free and with Mladenovic now going. So, yeah. I mean, they're going to have to bring in a few more, but I think what might condition that is their upcoming Europa Conference League game. We'll get onto that in a bit. Um, might condition whether they bring in the bodies now or bring in the bodies later in the season. But yeah, it's they're probably still missing a few players. But you know, a, a decent start. It's to be expected. A little bit of a mixed start after a, you know in, a, in the middle of um, Conference League qualifying. It's to be expected, but it's not not a total disaster. You know, it's not like if they'd have lost two games, then then you might have worried a little bit, but. You know they've 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 done okay. You know, so won the game that they lost. Won the game I expected them to lose, but you know, lost the game I expected them to win. But yeah, I think I think Sochi will be fine. You know, so I think they'll yeah, be fine. Certainly, it's quite ironic that, of course, two weeks ago we didn't really read the Rye attacked, but we certainly did play down the potential impact of Marko Ganjic, and then goes to two games later and scores the winner against Akmat. So. What do we know, eh? But at least at least Christian Naboa has been continuing his excellent form. I think he's been their best player this season by quite some distance, continuing being the best player for them last season by also quite some distance. So I wonder what sort of effect in the longer term Naboa's potential retirement could have on Sochi because he is 36 now. But as he mentioned in an interview with ourselves last year that he, he feels fit and healthy and he... He's actually considering himself to be in among the best form in his career, which is great to read because he's been absolutely brilliant for them. And we will finish off our little RPL discussion here. And unfortunately, we won't be able to cover all the sides, so we will try and jump into some of the ones that we haven't mentioned this week in the next pod. But, David, I'm going to leave you to discuss a team that you did briefly mention earlier, and that's Ural Ekaterinburg, who have got their a quite promising group of youngsters right now, but are maybe not starting quite as well as we could have hoped. Yeah. Um, I think Ural, uh, there's definitely a change in mindset there. You look at their transfers this summer um, and it's predominantly young players who they've bought in uh, as we've seen in the past, you know, and just take a look at the squad there. It's, it's, it had been over the last couple of years a, a very old squad, um, and there's still some uninspiring lineup decisions going on from uh, the manager. I forget his name, the ex Krasnodar guy, Matt Vayev, That's the one. Um, but the the squad in general, there's finally a young core there um, who of players who you know ideally can can be developed. Um, you know, Eric McFalvey, we've 
we we talked about off uh, off air beforehand, and he, he's not the same player he once was. Uh, and him, him and Panyukov starting as the striker, and uh, with Big Falvey behind in attacking midfield are are a lackluster duo. You know, there's no dynamism there at all, no movement. Um, you know, it will rely heavily on the wingers. Obviously, they they're without El Kabir, who was one of the big um, explosive wingers that they had over the last few years. Um, Gajim Radov, who would presumably be starting, is currently injured. Um, so, they, so they say they they limp to that draw against against Nizhny over the over the weekend. Um, we're on top, you know. Nizhny only had minimal chances. Ural had a lot of the ball, but very few actual chances. Um, other than other than what they scored. Um, first week around, they they were fairly. Unlucky to lose uh, so heavily against Krasnodar. Um, they, they'd started well. They missed a penalty before half-time. Terrible penalty it was from from Vic Falvey, which would have put them 1-0 up. Uh, and then Krasnodar scored, opened the scoring with a deflected shot from 25 yards, completely wrong-footed. The goalkeeper, like, no no chance. Um then Villeny comes in and scores another long shot, not deflected, to, to make it 2-0 later on. And then they get a penalty in the last minute from uh, a dive from John Cordova. It was it was a dive. I don't know how far hasn't uh, overturned that particular one. Um, so that they've been a little hard done by, but say that there's a young core there um, of players who, who are looking like, you know, there, there could be some promise from them this season. We've got Luka Gagnidze there on loan from Dinamo. He, he made his debut over the weekend. Uh, Kolesnichenko, who started the first week. Uh, Arsen Adamov, who's a regular now in, in the team. Um, Gajimuradov, Maximenko, who, who both moved up from the Feniel last year. Uh, Agaev, who joined from Lokomotiv in the summer as a striker. Um and uh, this week we had Yuri Zhelozhnov, or Zhelozhnov, I don't know how to quite pronounce it. Um, 18-year-old winger who last year was playing in the PFL and the, the Youth Football League as well for Saturn, um, who, as we know, a fairly reputable academy. And uh, he, he got his debut. He, he'd been starting and playing a lot in pre-season, and he got his debut uh, uh, this weekend uh, against... Uh, Against Nizhny, and uh, he, he was okay. Nothing, nothing too special going on. But you know, it's, he's 18 years old. It's, it's his first senior appearance in, in the Premier League, so we'll arm off. Um, so yeah, there, there's potential there. I think you know they're they're one or two signings away from being competitive again in the mid table. You know, um, if they could just get in a better striker and not rely so heavily on Big Falvey, um, you know, there, there's something there. I think in the squad. Um, but, but so far, not quite clicking for them. Yeah, a little comment that you made last week caught a little bit of a uproar from what a certain Andrew Flint in the group chat that McFalvey's been out of form for quite some time now, and I totally agree. I think he's been a shadow of his former self for the last 18 months or so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he has. Uh, obviously, he is, what, 34 now? You know, he, he pretty he essentially seemed to join Ural at his peak, uh, and you know there was there was a time where you know he's never been dynamic. He's never been the player who moves who's going to dribble with the ball, but he's emphatic. You know, he he can score for fun from from anywhere. You know, he's just that kind of guy. But um, 
it just seems to me a little bit that the legs are gone and that Ural is still being over-reliant on him uh, when they need to start playing more as a team. Yeah, certainly. There's a lot of good possession football and build-up there, but not necessarily everything in the final third, and that's basically been Ural's same problem for probably about 40 years now. But if we do skip on from the RPL, and we'll just finish off with a couple of shorter topics. Um, Firstly, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the UEFA Europa Conference League, yep, that's a mouthful, draw took place um, in the next round, of course, before the draw, uh, Rubin Kazan will be taking on Rakov and Sochi against Partizan Belgrade. So, David, what do you expect from, from Rubin in this round and in the, in the next draw against two teams that I can't remember who they're going to play? Um, well, if they can get past Rakov, who uh, I don't know much about, but they, they came second in the league last year. They struggled over two legs against Sudula, uh, 0-0 over 180 minutes plus injury time, only went through on penalties, and have seemed seemingly started the league uh, struggling as well this season. Um, when you compare that to how Ruben have started this season and how their youth form has been in 2021, um, it seems like Ruben should be okay um, with this. You know, they got the away leg first, obviously away goals not, not counting, but going away from home is obviously still the harder of the two fixtures on paper, so... Um, if Ruben can go away and, and come away with a one or one or two nil victory, then you'd feel confident they can get through. Then it'll be uh, against RFS of Latvia or, or Ghent of Belgium. Um, be interesting that Ghent. I thought I think I was getting when they when the draw came out. I was I was remembering the Ghent of old, and not the Ghent of now, who have a leading striker who is an ex RPL striker by the way. You may remember Gianni Bruno, potentially, potentially not. From his very brief spell, maybe a year, maybe half a year at Krulia Silvatov. Uh, I had a look at the squad and I was then slightly reassured. I thought, oh, actually, this, this if Ruben were to get Ghent, if Ghent are able to beat RFS from Latvia, um, I, I felt like Ruben could be competitive against Ghent by the look of it based on the squad. I don't know form wise how they are. Um, so I think I was maybe. Comparing them, confusing them originally with the Gent of old or Genk, who I think are a lot better. Um, so, so yeah, that's a, that's an interesting tie, and uh, you know, if Rubin can can beat Rakov, I think there's a good chance for them. You know, it's it's not like Spartak against Benfica where you're thinking, oh god, that's that's a tough tie. It's Rubin against Gent potentially, which is like, well, that, that's you know, that could go either way. Maybe it's potentially winnable. So, um, you know, hopefully, obviously, I'd love to. Get Ruben in Europe. We all would like to get Ruben uh, in in the group stages. So fingers crossed. And Richard, how about Sochi? Do you think they've got enough to get past Partizan, and then potentially the game after that? Uh, just going on Sochi, just a couple of extra little things on Ruben. I was speaking as well to one of my friends last night, who you know watched a little bit of Polish football. He's based out there, and uh, Rakoff apparently lost um, Kamil Piakowski. He was one of their best players. He he got sold to uh, RB Salzburg in the summer, so so that's a blow for them. And yeah, I, I heard from him as well that they've not started the season very well. So I think that that does look quite a nice winnable. That looks like a winnable tie for Rubin. Certainly, definitely got a good chance of going through with that. And um, 
And interestingly, uh, one last little thing looking ahead uh, for Agan Sochi too. Apparently, Ghent have just recently sold um, Roman Yeremchuk, who obviously played for Ukraine at Euro 2020. He, he recently was sold to Benfica. So that, that deal literally went through, I think, in the last few days. So obviously, Ghent have lost him. And he he, he scored a lot of goals from last season, I think. Um, just looking now. Yeah, he scored 20 goals in 34 games from last season in the league, according to the stats I've got in front of me. So... So, yeah, Rubin's path looks quite decent, actually, now. Uh, obviously, I'm not underestimating any team, as, as as we all know, based on the Russian club's performances recently. But Rubin, if they can get through against Rakoff, I certainly think they have a chance of making the group stage. Uh, as for Sochi, um, I was a little bit worried when I saw them draw Partisan after getting through against Kessler. Um However, last night, obviously, you know, Partisan came second in the Serbian league last year to Red Star Belgrade, who, you know, Went actually went a whole season unbeaten. Um, but I was seeing the scores last night and the Champions League qualifier that uh, Red Star played, and they actually played Sheriff Tiraspol uh, from Moldova, and it was it was at the uh, Ratko Milic, uh, the Maracana Stadium in Belgrade. It was actually you know Red Star's home game, and I was expecting them to beat um, to beat Sheriff pretty easily at home, but they only got a one-one draw. So it's given me a little bit more hope going in because obviously Partizan probably not as strong as Red Star so it's given me a little bit of hope for Sochi there um, first leg's massive they've got to win that game at home take advantage of um, being at home in the first leg and ideally take a lead to Belgrade um, I don't know what the situation is like in Serbia at the minute whether they're going to have you know crowds at the stadiums there I don't know whether it's half capacity full capacity partial capacity no capacity because obviously it's an intimidating atmosphere whenever you go to Greece, Turkey, Serbia for a match away from home in Europe. So because you know the atmosphere is quite vociferous in the stadium, it's quite you know hostile atmosphere for visiting teams. So so if, if I mean if it's not many in the in the stadium allowed, I don't know. Then that might work to Sochi's advantage. It is still going to be a tough tie though. Um, but you know I think Sochi have a chance, but they've, they've got to take something to to, to Belgrade with them. Um, from this home game. And then if they get through, they either play, um, I think they pl- play either Santa Clara of the Azores of Portugal at, or um, or Olympia Ljubljana of Slovenia. Olympia Ljubljana only just scraped through against Burkokara from Malta in the last round. So I, I would expect Santa Clara to beat them. Um, that could be quite tough for Sochi because uh, obviously I think they came fifth or sixth in the Portuguese league last season, um, and it's hell of a trip for both sides. You know, it's, we're talking three thousand kilometers. The Azores are like you know, <laughs> about a thousand fifteen hundred kilometers away, a thousand kilometers plus away from the Portuguese mainland. So, so that could be quite interesting. But yeah, Sochi have got to try and take advantage of that home tie against Partizan first up. Um, it's going to be tough, but I think they have a chance. I think they have a chance, but but they have to take something to Belgrade. Absolutely have to take something to Belgrade to have a chance. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, it's arguably one of the most difficult away games in Europe when when that 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 place really gets rocking. Um, both both stadiums in Belg in, in uh, Belgrade are, are pretty horrendous places to go to. So hopefully, Sochi can get a good result at home. And move on from there because I think, to be honest, Partizan is a more daunting opposition than any of the other sides. Um, RSF, RFS, whatever the fuck they're called, the Latvian team, um, Ghent, Santa Clara, and 
uh, Olympia Ljubljana are nowhere near as experienced in this competition as Partizan. And Partizan, like that game, really smacks of the Neftchi Baku game against Arsenal, was it a couple of years ago, where Neftchi Baku were arguably at the time along similar quality levels to, to Arsenal, but Arsenal, complete lack of inexperience at that level really showed. But if we skip on from any European and domestic matters and and focus a little bit on the managerial scene. Now, of course, as I mentioned at the stop at the top of the pod, Valeri Karpin last week was announced as the new Russia boss in a short-term capacity. Originally, it was announced that he would be taking over duties of both the Russia national team and Rostov in a similar deal to that of Leonid Slutsky, in which he managed the national side and Siska Moscow at the same time. Now, after Rostov's second loss from two games so far this season, firstly in the opening match 2-0 against Dinamo, and then the 4-2 against Zenit, uh, it was announced that Valery Karpin had left by mutual consent, and part resigned, part pushed. Though, to be honest, more often than not, when you read mutual consent, it's more of a sacking with, in which the, owner, uh, the manager's um, blushes are spared, to put it in a nicer way. Since then, local legendary boss Yuri Siomin has taken over, and that was confirmed just today, I believe, was it? So, first of all, David, what are your thoughts on, first, firstly, Karpin at Spornaya, and secondly, Siomin at Rostov? Well, look, Karpin should have left Rostov before the summer, honestly. They, they've wasted a whole summer and then decided after two games that this still isn't working. They've only won three times in 2021. Uh, and they were predictably, predictably against Rotor, Tambov, and Arsenal. Um, so when you can't, when you can only be competitive against the three worst teams, uh, that's not good. Um, I'm intrigued as to how Carpenter's going to do it at the national team. We we know he's got a slight pedigree of preferring younger players, and that's what we've been calling out for 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 a long time. Uh, for at the national team level, so I'd be very interested to see what his first squad's going to be. You know, which are they? Which new players are going to get their first call ups? You know, are we going to see debuts? Is, is Zakarian going to get be involved? There's rumours that Zakarian, Tukavin, Tignizian, um, Zinkovsky are all on on the shortlist to to be called up. Um, so I'm intrigued as to who, uh, from that perspective, you know, to see. More young Russian players getting in the national team. That 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 intrigues me. With regards to results on the pitch, we've seen Karpin have very good spells at club level. We've also seen him have very bad spells at club level. Um, so uh, I'm in between uh, on that respect. There, there's yeah, before the end of the year. There's there's two games. I think both two Croatia games. I want to say. Um, well, there's certainly a Croatia game in the next three, as well as a game against Malta and Cyprus, I want to say. So there, there's a couple of tough fixtures in there. Um, and I suppose it'll all just be a case of wait, waiting and seeing. Uh, I think it could go either way. It could be a streak of genius, and he could really get this new generation going on the on the senior level. Um, or it will just fall, sort of fall flat, and there'll be no real change. I think obviously everyone's waiting with bating breath to see if he, he's going to call up Zuba after their previous disagreements, uh, you know, 10, 10 years ago, however long it was. 
Um, so yeah, so that's that side. Siominic Rostov, yeah. Um, Rostov squad built by Carpin is naturally, as we as I say, quite young. Um, Siomin is an old style manager. It will be interesting to see what he does. Um, you know, we've got to give him some credit from his time at Loco where you know he he brought through the Mirandric twins for starters. Um, you know, he can grind out results. I for a team like Rostov who sort of pride themselves on their you know their relative youth and their sort of outreach, you you would have liked to see them maybe try something a bit bit different, maybe go foreign. Um you know, Siomin is very old as well, naturally, 75. It's uh, it's an uninspiring important appointment. Um, uh, well, I saw Churches of Linked and I thought, yeah, that's such a Rostov thing to do. You, know, you could totally see Rostov doing that. And then the next day Siomin was in and was like, oh, yeah, that's also a fairly Rostov thing to do. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think I'd think i be more – I'm more excited on the carp inside at, at Spornaya rather than Siomin at – uh, Rostov, but Rostov definitely needs something because they they've been f- essentially terrible uh, this whole year, uh, and the squad is not that bad. You know, the squad's better than that. Um, so, you know, they they need something doing, and hopefully he can he can turn it around for them. Yeah, the squad's certainly greater than a lot of the other sides down there who are on zero points so far this part of the season. But firstly, for myself and Carpen at Russia. Carpen does have a track record of bringing through some younger players, which, like you said, is that is slightly promising. We've been calling for that for some time, so it would be a little, little hypocritical now to not necessarily support a manager who does bring in younger players in the national team position. My worries are different. That my worries are that like he's a man who is a very much a transfer window manager. He has been throughout his entire career. His solution to solving problems at Rostov was buying in the summer. And then using that as an impetus to, to do well in the first half of the season before flat up tailing off in the second. And that's happened every summer now. He does go through quite a lot of rebuilding spates. He can't do that with Russia. But at the same time, on the other hand, he's got nothing to lose. I mean, Russia are in a pretty low position right now anyway. It's pretty generally accepted across the public and journalists in the nation that they want to rebuild. They want to see fresher faces. So even though he's only in a short-term deal, all he literally has to do is get them playing good football, get the odd result here or there, and introduce younger players. And he's already going to be held in higher esteem. It is all just a bit bizarre. I, he's not... Usually you want a manager going into a national team on the back of success. Carpen has had mixed success at times, but every single mixed success has been wrought with inconsistency because of the inconsistency of in, inconsistencies of Rostov themselves under Carpen. Richard, what are your thoughts on Carpen? And lastly, briefly on Siomin and taking over at Rostov as well. Yeah, I'd like to echo those thoughts about um, you know being a transfer window manager, James. Um, that's that's a little bit of a worry for me too, because you know, yes, the national team needs a freshen up at the moment with some fresh young talent after. Stanny's, you know, lack of willingness to actually, you know, integrate young players until it was too late. However, you've also got to have some element of continuity too. Uh, I'm just a bit worried with Carpine that this, you know, 
penchants to you know keep going into windows and buying and buying more players and having rebuild after rebuild. Is he going to? Are, are too many players going to get called up? I, you know, I think some consistency with squad selection and keeping a consistent team is important. You know, if you're going to do like the rebuild, right, do it at the start and then give that team a batch and a run of form. Uh, you know, sorry, a run of games and then see what happens before you then start bringing in loads of new players left, right and centre. Yeah, that 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 to me could be an issue with Carpine. And also, what's also quite noteworthy too is, is that he seems to be a manager too who, like you said, yeah, results do tend to tail off after a while with him. You know, he seems to have a good start and then come about the third season at every club he's been at, the results seem to tail off. Sometimes they tail off at the end of the season, like you said. I'm a bit like David, yeah, this could go either way. Um, with 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 uh, with Carpine, I'm sort of a bit on the fence with it. Obviously, yes, I do have my reservations about it. Um, and the, the short term contract, I honestly have a funny feeling that this is a contract till the World Cup end of World Cup qualifiers in 2022. And there was a lot of talk before it was announced that Carpine got the job that Russia might go foreign again. And I'm beginning to wonder: is this a a last trial of a Russian manager before the RFU might consider a Russian football union might consider a foreign manager again. Cause Stefan Kuntz from um, Germany's under 21s was heavily being considered. I, I, I did know, I did notice those rumors, you know, there was talk of Joachim Lohr. I don't know how much truth there was in that, but there was definitely talk of a foreign manager coming in. So I'm beginning to wonder if, if Carpi represents, you know, a, a steady hand, but also somebody who, you know, is potentially, you know, a, a try them and then if it doesn't work out, then go foreign kind of um, option for the for the Russian Football Union. So it'd be interesting to see how it works out. Um, and yeah, he was totally right to leave, to leave Rostov, like David said. He, he should have left in the summer, really. It was starting to go a bit stale there and then trying to take on two jobs at once, just not a good idea. You know, I've, you know, whenever that's been tried before in the past, it's just not worked. I remember Kevin Keegan briefly doing it once with England and Fulham. You know, it didn't really work out. He had to quit Fulham to take England full time. So, so yeah, it was the right thing to step down from Rostov. I'm not massively enthusiastic about Schumann, I have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm very surprised that, you know, he's come back. You know, he's 75 next May. Um, and it, it is worth remembering, too, that whilst he is a legendary figure in Russian football, a lot of his success in Russia has just come at the one club at Lokomotiv. You know, he didn't last very long at Dinamo, didn't last very long at Angie. So that would be a bit of a concern to me as well. Um, I think Rostov too are in a bit of a period now where they're coming down. You know, I think it's important to remember with Rostov, they've been overachieving for the last five years with that second place finish in 2016, with a fifth place finish two years, two seasons ago. They have been overachieving at the moment. You'd say at best their squad's about mid-table. You know, the likes of Dinamo, Rubin, Sochi seem to have powered past them in the pecking order. So, uh, and again, the worrying thing with Schumann is, is his age. Uh, you know, Rostov, to me at the minute, kind of need a bit of a stability peer with a young manager who's willing to, you know, integrate fresher players and rebuild. I mean, is Schumann going to stick around for three years to do that? Or are you going to be looking for another new, given his age, or are you going to be looking for another new manager down the line in a year or two's time? So, it's a really interesting period for Rostov, and I must admit, I'm not massively convinced at this point. I'm surprised Schumann wants to to go through this. You know, it's at nearly 75. I want to be happily retired, but it really just seems like to some football, it's, football management is just an addiction. They just can't let it go. But, um, but yeah, it's a surprising appointment to me. I mean, it, it is like David said, very typically Rostov, but 
I've got reservations about it, let's just say, with Schumann. But we will have to wait and see. You know, he came back for his fourth spell at Loco and won the league and shocked everybody. So you just never know. But uh, I've got some reservations about that. I'm more excited, like David, about the car and like yourself probably as well, but like about the Carpine appointment for Sport Night. More, more fascinated and intrigued, let's just say. Yeah, certainly. It's ironic that you mentioned there about managers being unable to to really give up the the game and, and and get away from that addiction. Literally, what back end of last season we discussed former Zenit UEFA Cup winning manager Dick Advoca finally retiring for what the fifth time, only to then be announced as Iraq manager literally a couple of weeks ago. Like, Seriously, yeah, he's <laughs> he's going into international management now. So not Van quite Hals as Van Hal's come out of retirement to coach the Netherlands as well, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll keep happening. So it's <laughs> no surprise. Can't that, can't yeah, it's, it it's no surprise that Siomen at seventy five cannot give up the game yet, and he feels like he's got some unfinished business somewhere. But that is the end of this week's RFN podcast. This week we'll have also had a few big RPL related moves in the transfer window. Uh, Lokomotiv have con- t- are continuing or maybe starting off what could be a bizarre fire sale. Zhegoz Kakoviak has joined Krasnodar for 1.5 million euros, while Naya Teknizian has moved from Siska to Loko for 5 million euros. And the aforementioned Denis Makarov, of course, left Rubin for Dinamo for 10 million euros, according to reports. In Serie A, former Rostov striker Eldor Shomorodov has left Genoa to join Jose Mourinho's AS Roma for what will be potentially 20 million euros after bonuses. It's reported that Rostov themselves should get 1.5 million of that in, in sell-on clauses, which is any little boost is good for them to, to add to the squad. But unfortunately, Spartak have just came out of their match against Benfica at the Otclitia and lost 2-0 at home in the first leg of their Champions League qualifier, which is, barring a miracle in the Estadio de Luge, probably the end of their Champions League hopes for now. They do, of course, I believe, drop into the Europa League qualifiers, just as uh, Russian teams have in the past, dropping out at this level in the in the in the qualification stage. And we'll cover more about Spartak's European games and maybe some more of the Moscow-based clubs where we've tried to stay away from this week. Next up in the next edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. Goodbye for now. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.